So, Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to worship you this morning. We thank you for the blessing that it is to be able to gather and to do it freely and openly. We thank you for your holy word that is written for our benefit. And we come to you this morning with expectancy, knowing that you're going to feed us uh, from the manna, the bread from heaven. So, Father, we just ask, give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts that are willing to receive and feet and hands that are willing to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, guys. Just a couple of announcements this morning as the kiddos are heading downstairs. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 9. Uh, Project Bible Runners will be picking up the Bibles that you all have been giving. So thank you for those of you that have given Bibles and have donated money. We will make sure that they get that on September 7th. Um, They have, their goal is 10,000 Bibles to Kenya. They're at 4,900 and something. And so we're over, almost halfway there, and they'll be going down to Louisiana and back in the next next couple of weeks to pick up the next uh, group of Bibles So you can be praying for that. Another announcement and a couple of new exciting things. After the lights turn on, can somebody grab the light switch? They're not listening to me. They got kids. Thank you. Let there be light. So a couple of uh, kind of exciting announcements that I just got to tell the leaders about. Uh, Number one, um, some of you know that I've been working part-time at Parkland Chapel and then part-time down here, and for the first time in almost nine years, I'm going to be full-time in the valley. So, um, yeah, thank you. God's been so faithful, and, uh, you know, so I'll get to be down here full-time. I'll be done with the building project up there. Um, The day that I start to officially be full-time down here will be October 1st. Um, another opportunity I've been given is uh, I'm going to be uh, serving as a um, police chaplain for the Ironton Fire Department, or f- Police Department. Gosh, <laughs> I knew I was going to mess that up. Um, so you can be praying for me in that. There's a lot of things that I'm not uh, necessarily equipped for yet, and so when God calls somebody, he equips them for the work. So I'm going to be getting some training for that. And then um, another announcement, and this is kind of a big one, and it might come to a shock, and it might be something that you're ready for or not, but uh, as we've been having space issues, our building isn't really functional. As you know, we have a foyer that's about the size of a small bathroom, and then uh, trying to get people in and out for two services. And so uh, as we've prayed about what we're going to do about our space issue, um, the Lord has opened up the door for us. We made the decision last Monday that we're going to purchase the old Meadow Heights building. And so, um, unfortunately, due to some circumstances with them, they've had to close the doors. And while we do not celebrate that, we are thankful for the opportunity to have more space, uh, to have a place that they have already built out and made functional for what we're trying to do. And so it won't change what we do, it'll change where we do it. And so the church, and I try to emphasize this as much as possible, is not about a building. It's people that make it up. We are living stones. That's what scripture teaches. And so whether we worship here or whether we worship on the other in another town or uh, we're staying here and, and our desire is to not only have a, a facility that meets our current need, but also space to grow and make a bigger impact on our community. And so very thankful for the doors that the, open, the, that the Lord has opened up for us. And we look forward to that season. I don't have any dates when that's gonna happen. Um, but I'm looking forward to um, that transition, and so you can be praying for us on that too. So Exodus chapter 9 and 10 this morning, as we open up our Bibles, um, the question this morning, and it's really a question for us, it's also a question uh, for the Lord's people uh, in Israel and the Lord's people as he reaches out to Pharaoh. Uh, Will you serve God or will you serve the Pharaoh? And uh, everybody serves somebody. And so it's, it's a choice we have to make. So in Exodus chapter 9 this morning, we begin uh, in the middle of everybody's favorite topic, judgment and plagues. And uh, so it may not be that enthralling, but I promise there's some application for us. So Exodus chapter 9, 
opens up and it says, the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and tell him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and you still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. Then the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died. But on the livestock of the children of Israel, not one of them died. So then the Pharaoh sent, <clears throat> and indeed, not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. He wants to see the evidence, right? Is the word that this man has spoken true or not? But it says here, examining the evidence, the Pharaoh's lack of faith is not logical at all. He's not reasoning. He's, he's making decisions on what he wants. It says here in verse 7, the heart of Pharaoh became hard and he did not let the people go. So this is the sixth time that the Lord has told Pharaoh, let my people go. How many times should the creator of the heavens and the earth, the Lord over it all, how many times should he have to repeat himself? One. And yet he has said to Pharaoh, who claims to be God, six times he's given him the command, let my people go that they may serve me. To me, it is amazing that God would be willing to suffer as long as he does with Pharaoh, yes, but with us. That he would strive with us, that he would repeat himself over and over. And I know that at the same time, I as a parent, if I have to say something more than once, I get a little frustrated. And yet what we see here is he's striving with man because he cares. He's striving even with the ungodly because he made Pharaoh. <laughs> we don't think about it that way, but God knit Pharaoh together in his mother's womb. He cares deeply about his creation. And so we see this where <clears throat> he says, if you don't listen, knowing full and well that Pharaoh's not going to listen, he says, if you don't, a severe pestilence will be on your livestock. Not on everyone's, just yours, just the Egyptians. He says, and, and in some of your translations, it might say a grievous moraine. Now that's a term we use, right? Grievous moraine. Uh, sounds like some sort of, uh, I don't know, just sounds terrible. It sounds like uh, the worst mixed drink ever, a grievous moraine. I looked up this word because it's an actual disease. It, it's an infectious disease that affects cattle and other domesticated animal livestock. A derivative of the Latin word mori, moraine, actually means to die or mortal, you know. And so um, it, it's not just a disease that they'll get and that you can treat them for. It's a disease that leads to death. And by the way, the, the, the Bible talks about the fact that there is a sin that leads to death. And so it, we have to be careful when we play around with things that we think are common. Uh, there is sin that leads to death. And in this case, just the Pharaoh saying no to God leads to the death of many of his livestock. Actually, it says all of them. But it won't affect Israel's livestock. He's going to make a distinction. And this will happen, he says, tomorrow. So the Pharaoh's heart became hard and he did not let the people go. Verse 7 says that. So the, the Lord said to Moses, verse 8, and Aaron, he says, take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace. And some of your translations might say the furnace. And let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh. And it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt. And it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So then they took ashes from the furnace, stood before Pharaoh and Moses, scattered them towards the heavens, and they caused boils and break out in sores on man and beast. 
And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. So these magicians that were actually imitating the very plagues that God was doing eventually lose the ability to imitate some of these plagues. And we've talked about that, that they witnessed and said, Pharaoh, this is the hand of God. This isn't some sort of trickery. This isn't a illusion. This isn't David Copperfield stuff. This is legit. This is the hand of God, which is interesting. Even the enemies of God will at one point confess that God is Lord, that he's the only one more powerful. And as he's confessing this, and, and these saved men are no longer able to imitate these plagues, what happens is that they actually start to take on them the very judgment, that they're not able to stand before Pharaoh anymore or before Moses and Aaron because the very plagues that they were able to imitate, now they can't control them, and now they're actually on them. They're receiving the plagues in their own flesh. They cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast. And these boils and these sores were, you know, this, this great after breakfast, they, they were leaky. They were nasty. They were like a plague, literally. So the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and on all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Now, interesting, as we've been reading about these plagues and the Pharaoh's response to them, over and over we read that the Pharaoh hardened his heart against the Lord. But now it says that the Lord is hardening the heart of Pharaoh. So which one is it? Which one is it? Because it's one or the other, right? That's the way that we think. But the reality is we can say no to God, and we can say no to God, and we can say no to God, and he gives us the freedom to do that. Unfortunately, the fool has said in his heart, no, God. That's, that's the foolish person's response to the authority of God. But what we find out here is that there is a time that we can no longer just say no, but God actually solidifies and he lets us have exactly what we've wanted. And you've heard this. People reject the Lord their whole life. They've got people in their lives that have witnessed to them. They have people in their lives that have been faithful to the Lord and they see the fruit of that. I'm like, that's great for them, but I kind of enjoy my current circumstances. I like my sin, and I don't want to forsake it, so therefore, maybe later. Maybe when I get old and I'm on my deathbed, then I'll say yes to the Lord. But the problem is, is that there comes a time where we can't say yes anymore. We can't repent anymore. And I don't know how to explain that to you biblically. I just know that that's what the Bible teaches. That if you say no enough times, eventually you lose your ability to say yes. And that's scary, right? And in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus speaks about this. He calls it the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. He says, therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, <clears throat> except the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. And it says there in verse 32, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. I love that. There was lots of words I spoke against the Son of Man, even using his word as a curse word. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. So what's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Well, the work of the Spirit can be seen in three relationships. We see this in the book of Acts. There's the coming alongside, the para, the with. The, the Holy Spirit comes alongside us. And he actually comes alongside every human being to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That's that conviction that you have as a child. You don't have to tell kids that there's a God because their heart is already, it, it's written in their DNA. They, they know that. They know they didn't get there on their own volition. That you don't have to convince them that there's a God because they look around and they see things and they're like, well, somebody had to make it. That's the simplicity of being a child. But just because you've been born doesn't mean you're a child of God. We all are born with sin written on our very code because of what Adam and Eve gave to us. That, that's our inheritance. Thanks for that. But the beauty is, is that the Lord convicts us of that, and then he testifies of Jesus Christ. He points to the Savior. You read the whole Old Testament, you see over and over again this foreshadowing of what Jesus Christ would be for mankind. And so as he points us to the Savior, we can say, 
nah, not for me. But then there's this second relationship, and it's the N, E-N in the Greek. It means that the Holy Spirit comes in you. At the time that you receive Christ, he gives us the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the, the one that points us to all truth. He said to his disciples, he said, all these things that I've taught you, after I go to be with the Father, the Holy Spirit will bring these things to remembrance. And that's how scripture is written on our heart. And then he empowers us to live this, this victorious Christian life. He gives us power over sin. The, the ability to say, nope, ain't gonna do it. But then there's this third relationship and it's the coming upon, a P in the Greek, E-P-I. And it means that the Holy Spirit comes upon us to overpower us and engulf us so that what comes out of us is a river of living water. So what we say has power behind it, not because of our own authority or our own charisma, but because the Holy Spirit is behind it. He, it's, in, the, in the book of Acts, the, the Holy Spirit, this upon is dunamos, where we get our word dynamite. So when, when that power comes upon us, it's not like a little bottle rocket that goes, you know, it's, it's not like a, one of those little snap and pops. It's like dynamite. When we share what God gives us to share, there's this explosion, and people hear it, and it resonates, and more people will come to Christ when, you're, when you have that relationship. You ask the Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit, and there's many commentators that talk about, why would I need another filling? Well, we're cracked vessels. We leak, and so because we leak, we need more of the Lord, not less, not just some, but all. Pour it all out. And so how do we get the fresh filling of the Holy Spirit? Jesus said, we ask. You don't have it because you don't ask. And so what's funny is he actually says, you being fathers who are evil can give good gifts to your children. How much more am I the good father or does my father who is good, will he be willing to give you the Holy Spirit if you ask? And many of us don't have any power in our lives and our Christian witness and how we live for him because we simply don't ask. And I love that because he, he says, don't, don't feel ashamed because you haven't. Instead, start and ask today. And every morning I say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit today. I want to bear witness to you in a way that brings you glory. And he says as a loving father, okay, here you go. He, he longs to give us more of him. And it's not always easy, but it's always good. And so the hardening of the heart of Pharaoh says no. And so uh, chapter uh, 9, verse 13, we continue. The Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For at this time, I will send all my plagues to your very heart, Pharaoh. I'm going to plague you. I'm going to put the pressure on you and on your servants and on your people that they may know, that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth, that there's no other God like me. You serve and worship all these other gods. Pharaoh, you claim to be God, but you're going to know because of what I do that there's no one else but me. Now, if I had stretched out my hand on you and struck you and your people with pestilence before, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you, that my name may be declared in all the earth. As yet, you exalt yourself against my people, and in that you will not let them go. Behold, tomorrow about this time, I will cause very heavy hail to rain down, such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore, send now, gather your livestock. He doesn't just tell him what he's going to do. He says, hey, there's a rescue plan. <laughs> the hail is coming. You might even say all hail will break loose. And so because you know this, make preparations. Don't be stupid. If somebody told you that 100-pound hail was going to drop tomorrow on your house, many of you would freak out and panic and post about it, and some of you would actually do something to prepare. Or you'd be wise enough to go, there ain't nothing you can do to save your house from this. Let's get out of town. He says, therefore, send now and gather your livestock. He's saying all this to Pharaoh. And all that you have in the field for the hailstorm, the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field. 
and is not brought home, and they shall die. So he just told them, if you want to be saved from this, go home. Stop your labor. Take a break. This is good news, right? Take a little vacation. Avoid the storm. So verse 20 says, He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. So these are servants of Pharaoh that are going, well, I fear the Lord, so I'm going to do what he said. They had an opportunity to express faith. But notice verse 21, he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. So this is really no different for you and I. God has said in his word very clearly that there is a time where judgment is coming, therefore take shelter. But he didn't say go home, he said, make me your home. Let me tabernacle among you. Take shelter under me. And if you'll take shelter under the sun, guess what? The hailstorm won't destroy you. And whatever this life brings might destroy you, but you'll live eternally. That's good news. So then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. So I have there for you a picture of a guy backing up in his chair there. And this is us Midwesterners, right? We get the tornado watch, no, warning. The warning means uh, take shelter, right? And we're like, okay, front porch is good for me. I'm watching this thing. I want to see it unfold. Is it really going to come? And, and then you want to figure out how strong it was. And so you stand on the front porch and you watch it because storms are awesome. Why would I go to the basement? And then there's the watch that really isn't a watch. It just says that there's conditions, right? That I told first service, I don't really know which one it is and I always have to Google it. But either way, I'm watching to see what's going to happen in the storm. And, and basically, the Lord gave them a pass. Go hang out at your house and watch the storm. Don't stay in the field. Flee judgment. So verse 23 says, Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted to the ground, and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. So this wasn't, you know, the hundred year storm. This was, this has never happened. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. So think about these, these plagues. So far, they've had all of their livestock destroyed. Ain't going to be no meat in Egypt for the next several years until they can somehow get some more. But in the same token, they have every herb of the field broken and every tree. Trees produce what? Fruit. So they're losing all their tree, all their lumber. Hey, guess what? Lumber prices, they're going to go up. No more trees. The supply line has been destroyed at the very root. It sounds kind of like the book of Revelation if you think about some of the things that happened there. Uh, water turned to blood, hailstorms, you know, all, all kinds of crazy apocalyptic things. But only in the land of Canaan, or excuse me, Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. This time. I love that. He says, I've sinned this time. It's not really a confession of guilt as it is like he's trying to get out of his problem. The Lord is righteous, he confesses, and my people and I are wicked. Moses, entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. So Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord, and the thunder will cease. There will be no more hail that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. And it makes me think of what psalmists have written in their songs. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But as for you, Moses says, and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord. You don't really fear the Lord. You're just trying to get these consequences to go away. But even in this, Notice that the timing is just such that while the barley harvest is destroyed 
and the flax. He says, now the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was in the head and the flax was in the bud. Perfect timing to destroy them, to hit them right where it counts, right in their barley harvest. But notice the Lord's mercy. But the wheat, which is really better than barley anyway, the wheat and the spelt were not struck, for they are late crops. So even in this, the Lord is showing mercy. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain was not poured on the earth. He ceased the storm. Sound familiar? Think around Mark chapter 8. Jesus did the same thing. They're on a boat. They're trying to get to the other side. There's a storm, and Jesus is asleep, and they wake him up. They're like, Jesus, wake up. Don't you know that we're about to die? And the Lord does what? He speaks to the storm, and he says, stop. And it does. Showing them that they need to fear him because he's not just any other man. And when the Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he didn't respond like the disciples. It says he sinned more. He saw the goodness of God and he took advantage of it. He took it for granted. And he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So not only is the Pharaoh hardening his heart against the Lord, but now those who follow the Pharaoh. And I would tell you as a leader in your life around other people, that when you harden your heart against the Lord's simplest and most, you know, the things that you think don't, that don't matter, nobody knows, notices I'm doing this. There is somebody around you following your example. And if you harden your heart against anything that he has whispered to you, people in your life will too. They'll follow your example, whether they realize it or not. We imitate naturally. That's why Jesus came to earth. He said, uh, be holy for I am holy. Imitate my lifestyle. Imitate my submission to the Father. And then his disciples said the same thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, the apostle Paul said, imitate me as I am imitating Christ. Follow my example. So when Pharaoh saw that the, the judgment was passed, he hardened his heart and so did his servants. And the heart of Pharaoh was hard neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. And so notice what Pharaoh has said twice in this chapter. I have sinned. That's a start. By the way, as a believer, if you're a believer and you've never said, I have sinned or called something you did sin, I would, I would boldly proclaim to you that you may not actually be a believer because calling something sin is the first step towards getting the forgiveness that you need for that sin. Number two, a confession of sin, but it was not sincere. It wasn't sincere. How do you know that? Because he went straight back to that same sin. He didn't turn around from it. He continued it. And really the only sin that can't be forgiven is unconfessed and unrepented of sin. True confession with that there must be real repentance. And repentance is kind of a Bible word that means to turn away from sin in order that you might be forgiven. God forgives us when we turn from it. And when we're forgiven, <laughs> we want to turn from it. If you truly understand what forgiveness is. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 talks about the fact that what, you know, true repentance looks like this. It leads to life. It leads to life change. But when it's worldly sorrow over sin, it's really just us saying, I'm sorry, make the pain go away. I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't mean it, just make me stop suffering the consequences. And what the Bible teaches is that when we have worldly sorrow over sin, it leads to death, just like sin does. It, there's no forgiveness for worldly sorrow. But God shows mercy, and the Pharaoh hardens his heart anyway. So chapter 10 The eighth plague. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt. You can imagine Moses at this point going, What is the point? If the Pharaoh's not going to change anyway, why are we still suffering through all of this? I'm glad you asked, Moses, because now the Lord's going to give you the answer. 
He says, I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants that I may show these signs of, of mine before him, that he would bear witness to my power. And he says that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's sons the mighty things that I have done in Egypt. So this is something that for many years to come, the Israelites will tell these things to their sons and to their sons' sons. Remember when God did this in our nation. Remember the birth story that we had as a nation, that God brought us forth by his strong hand and many signs and wonders. Our God is mighty to save. That would be their song for generation after generation. Maybe some of you have a, a story of deliverance from sin into life. And maybe some of you would be those that God did that for you Number one, to show you that he is God and to show the world that he is God, but also so that you would have a testimony to tell your sons and tell your son's sons and your daughters and their daughters that we would take this, not tradition, but our personal story and tell it to our children so that they would know that God saved you and I and that they would be able to go, I wonder if he would do that for me. And that their song would be a comma song, not of, hey, look what I've done to make this life happen, but to go, look who I was and look what God did anyway. Look who I was and look how God saved me from myself and he can do it for you. I, I tell that to my kids. And as they become older and more age appropriate, I share my unedited story of what I was before Christ because all they know right now that I've always been a pastor. But that's a lie from the pit. They need to know that I started in my own sin and needed Jesus personally and that they started in their own sin and he can save them too. I don't want them to suffer the plague of a pastor's kid. I don't want them to suffer the plague of being a, a person raised in church. I want them to personally know Jesus Christ and the power that he has to deliver them from their own sin. It's powerful to confess, to give this testimony. It's not to glorify it, but it's also not to ignore it. We need to be unashamed of what God has done. It's powerful. And if we're real about who we are, it humbles us. And it also makes sure that people don't idolize us, but then it makes God big and glorious and personal and real and powerful. So he says in verse 3, so Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me, or else if you refuse. By the way, the words or else from the, the Lord are pretty stinking scary. Or else. From my parents, I wasn't so worried. But from the Lord, or else should be a powerful statement. He says, or else... If you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I'm going to bring locusts. And they shall cover the face of the earth so that no one will be able to see the earth. And they will eat the residue of what is left. So I left you some crops. But if you won't let my people go, the rest of those crops, they're gone. They're going to be destroyed. The residue of anything left that's nutritional in the land, which remains to you from the hail. They shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses, the houses of all your servants, the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your fathers have, father's fathers have ever seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, Pharaoh. Good grief, we got nothing left because of you just telling him no. Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Don't you know yet that Egypt has been destroyed? What do we have to lose? We don't have any crops left. We don't need slaves. We don't have enough food for ourselves. Our river is blood. Our crops are destroyed. So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. But who's going with you? 
Go ahead and serve God. That sounds great. I, I'm tired of the, okay, I get it. But who are you taking with? And Moses said, we will go with our young and with our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds we will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. And then he said to them, the Lord had better be with you when I let you go and your little ones. Beware, for evil is ahead of you. It's not going to be safe to go into the wilderness. Don't take your families. Go worship, but don't take your family with you. And then Moses says, not so. Go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desired. Sorry, that's what Pharaoh said. Just, just the men can go. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. So the enemy is threatening them and trying to make them decisions on how they worship. Guess what? Based on fear. Does that sound like a tactic that the enemy uses to keep us from worshiping him? Fear. Fear makes us make decisions that aren't logical. So when the enemy tries to make you afraid, recognize that's not the Lord. The voices in your life right now that are making you fearful are the enemy. Ignore them and listen to the voice of the Lord. He has called us to worship. So then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat all the herbs of the land, all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his rod over the land of Egypt. The Lord brought an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. And the locusts went up over all the land of Egypt, rested on all the territory of Egypt. They were very severe. Previously, there had been no such locusts as they, nor shall there be such after them, for they covered the face of the whole earth, so that the land was darkened, and they ate every herb of the land and all the fruit of the trees which the hail had left behind. So there remained nothing green on the trees or on the plants of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. And then Moses, excuse me, Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. He's, he's confessing sin again. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin this once, just once, and entreat the Lord your God that he may take away from me this death only. So he went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord turned a very strong west wind, which took the locusts away and blew them into the Red Sea. There remained not one locust in all the territory of Egypt. He blew the consequences of their sin, the locusts, into what? The sea. Which is interesting because when God forgives us, he promises to cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. And another way he uses to describe it is he says, I will cast your sin, your iniquity, into the very depths of the sea. And if you know what the Bible says when it comes to prophecy, he says, when the new heaven and the new earth come down, when he redeems the earth that is now tainted and cursed with sin, he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Interestingly about the geography, there won't be any sea. He casts our sea, sin into the depths of the sea, and then when he recreates creation, no more sea. No more sin and no more remembrance of sin. It's all completely wiped away. That's the gospel. How amazing. We're not even going to keep the place where I sent your sin. It gone. But notice verse 20. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He did not let the children of Israel go. Imagine that. Almost like he's bent on their destruction. Almost like he's bent on completely disobeying the Lord. And he says, I have sinned against the Lord and you. Pray for me, right? And if someone says, I've sinned, if someone says they believe in God, then of course they're a Christian, right? Wrong. There are many people in the Bible that made professions or confessions, but because it was insincere, their heart wasn't really in it, 
um, there was no true repentance. And uh, Warren Wearsby says that true repentance involves a change of mind that leads to a change of life. A change of mind that leads to a change of the way we live. And so others who had insincere confessions in the Bible include uh, a man by the name of Balaam. He was a, a prophet in the Old Testament. If you look at him in New Numbers chapter 22, he professed to know God, and yet by works he denied him. And then uh, the first king of Israel, King Saul, he professed to know God. He professed to be sorrowful over the things that he did that disobeyed the, the law of God, and yet the Lord took the kingdom from him because his profession, his confession, didn't lead to a life change. He was just paying lip service to God. And then, of course, famously, Judas, one of the 12 that Jesus chose. And yet Judas betrayed the Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And at the end, when he realized that he had betrayed an, an innocent man, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 4, he, he confessed he took the 30 pieces of silver and he threw it back at the Pharisees who paid him to betray the Son of Man. And yet right after that, he felt no forgiveness and he went and he took his own life. He hung himself. So insincere confession leads to no forgiveness and then death, not life. Godly sorrow produces a life change. Worldly sorrow produces what? Death. And so verse 20 says that the Pharaoh hardened his heart. Verse 21, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness which may be felt. Have you ever been somewhere that was so dark that you could feel it? Have you ever been, you know, like, it, if you live out of town and the, the street light goes out, Right? Uh, the, where, where I grew up when we first moved down here from Chicago, not Chicago proper, but the suburbs in 88. Back, back in 88, we moved down from the city, and we moved to a place that had about 100 acres. And we had a streetlight still. It was right outside the house. And I still remember my parents were talking about it. One night, the streetlight went out. And we were like, why is it so dark? What in the world? And then we looked out the window, of course, and the streetlight was out. And then we realized... And then when the moon wouldn't be out, or if it was, you know, an, uh, a new moon, or I can't remember what it's called, there was no moon, or, or if it was a cloudy night, it was so dark that you couldn't even see in front of you in the house. And this is what they were experiencing. So Moses stretched out his hand towards heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt, notice this, for three days. Think about it. Now, Jesus was on the cross, and when he died, in the middle of the day, there was palpable darkness, judgment, right? And so they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. Imagine, we, we freak out when the power goes out for 20 minutes. We don't realize how much we depend upon it. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Wow. So though it was dark in the land, their dwellings had light. So then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, go serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. But before we get there, just a thought, all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and he who walks with me will never again walk in darkness. So those who were the people of Israel, they weren't living in darkness anymore. Though the world was dark, they were walking in the light. And I would say to you, though the sun is out today, we live in a dark world, but though we walk in darkness and though the world would try to make us fearful and scared, guess what? We don't have to walk in darkness. We don't have to be fearful. We don't have to feel like the world is caving in and the sky is falling. And though it may be, the Lord has promised to take care of us. He promises that though we are in a dark world, he will be a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. That's his promise to us. So Pharaoh said to Moses, called to Moses and said, go serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. Okay, your kids can go with you, 
but don't take anything to sacrifice or give to God. I think part of this was because all of his livestock were dead. You guys go out and get killed in the wilderness. Uh, we'll take your stuff because we kind of need it still. But Moses said, you must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us. He's not asking. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And even we do not know what we must be even we do not know what, with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. And Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Listen, take heed to yourself and see my face no more. <laughs> I think that's kind of funny because it's dark out and he couldn't see his face. <laughs> Don't look at me. He says, for in the day that you see my face, you shall die. And Moses says confidently, you have spoken well. I will never see your face again. Now, there's one more plague, but we're going to stop there. Darkness so dark that it could be felt, and yet Pharaoh would not repent. But then Pharaoh gives another offer to compromise. Give yourself to God, but not your possessions. And then Pharaoh refuses to comply. And I think it's interesting that he waits through all of this, and he's still unwilling to say, okay, I give. He will not cry uncle no matter what it costs. And that's what happens when we harden our hearts against the Lord. It's not logical anymore. We are literally hell-bent on getting our own way done. But my question as we close is, what temptation has been plaguing you lately? Pharaoh's voice is very close to the voice of Satan, I believe, because he was inspired by Satan. This is what Pharaoh said to them. Sacrifice, but stay in the land, right? In chapter 8, verse 25. This is what Pharaoh said. Go, but don't go too far into the wilderness to sacrifice. The Lord told him to go three days. Don't go that far. Go, but don't take your children. Don't take your family to worship with you. Serve God, but leave your possessions with me. Don't give your whole life to God. And I would ask you, have you been tempted in this ever? Or maybe even recently? Have you been tempted to compromise in any of these ways? It's good to sacrifice to God, but don't become too much like those weirdo Christians. Stay in the world. Keep doing what we do. Go serve God, but don't take Christianity so seriously that you go too far with it. Don't go too far. Don't be one of those wacky people. Uh, Go serve God, that's great, but you don't want to bring your family into that. I mean, you got to make your, give your kids a chance to make their own decision. They're, they're smart enough, right? No, <laughs> they're going to love anything the world tells them that's awesome. As their parents, it is our job to give them a taste for what is good and holy and righteous. It's what you do with food. Our first kid, what do we do? We made our own baby food. Did we give them sugar first or did we give them some stinking green beans? We gave them green beans. And you know what? If we didn't give them sugar and we gave them green beans, they thought they were like candy when we gave them sweet potatoes. Now, if you're a parent, you know sweet potatoes don't go so well on the other end. <laughs> but what I'm saying is we give our kids a taste for what is good so that when they're older, they remember that taste and go, Man, the world's kind of leaving a bitter taste in my mouth. And though it is pleasurable for a time, there's all these consequences. I wonder if I need to go back to veggies. What's good for me? What's going to sustain me? What never lets me down? Doesn't give me the sugar hangover. You know, that's the Lord. Taste and see that he is good. And so that's the temptation. Go to church, but don't force your kids. You don't want to embitter them. Look, if I'm going to embitter my kids about anything, it's going to be Jesus. Now, I'm going to do all that I can as a parent to make sure I, I properly represent him because we can do as much damage as we can good. So to be wise about how we do it, but also I don't see too many parents saying, oh, you don't have to go to practice. I don't want you to get burned out. But isn't it interesting that we do say that about going to church or serving God till we're exhausted? 
I don't want them to get burned out on Jesus. Be careful about what you make your kids spend their lives on. Be careful on what you spend your life on. You're leaving an example. He says, serve God, but not with all of your possessions. Leave them with me. And all of these are temptations. All of these are the enemy being very subtle and yet calling us to compromise in our faith. He's trying to woo us away little by little from serving God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. In Luke chapter 10, verse 27, he says, this is the greatest commandment, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength, and that you love your neighbor as yourself, as you already love yourself. Now, this sums up all the law and the prophets. And so, Lord Jesus, um, help us to see the ways that we have been plagued by our own disobedience, Help us to see clearly the ways that we've been plagued because we've listened to the subtle voice of the enemy. Help us to not say, you know, I've sinned and maybe I shouldn't do that. But when we are convicted of sin, help us to wholeheartedly say, Lord, I'm sorry. I need your help to change because I know that this habit, this pattern is going to affect not only my life, but it's going to affect the people around me that I'm responsible for. Help us, Lord, to give our hearts wholeheartedly to you and help us to simply recognize that that conviction isn't the conviction of the world. It's actually your Holy Spirit saying, hey, (laughs) I know the voice of the enemy is real, but I'm wooing you. I'm showing you my faithfulness and I will fulfill my promises to you. All you have to do is believe, humble yourself and walk uprightly before me. So, Father, we confess that we need you. I guarantee there's not one of us in here that is giving our all to you. So help us to lean into that, to be real with you about that, and say, Lord, I believe, help me change. I cannot do it alone. So, Father, we love you. We thank you for this word from Exodus this morning. I pray that you would help each one of us to take what we've heard and apply it to what we've been walking in. There's no coincidences. You always meet us right where we're at. So help us just to receive that this morning and let you make the changes that need to be necessary. In Jesus' name, amen.